You are listening to Infertility Bites. It's a catharsis podcast. Infertility bites, but it bites a bit less when you're not alone. My name is Casey, and as always, I'm blessed to be joined by my co-captain in this journey, my wife, Sarah. Hello. On this series, we are going to continue talking about our experiences dealing with infertility. It's important always to note that we are not doctors or even really experts, just people that understand how difficult it can be because we went through it ourselves. Each person's journey is unique, like a fingerprint, so it's best to leave the medicine to the professionals because they've seen it all. Um, Last week, we talked a bit about the statistics of infertility. We also shared a hauntingly beautiful poem about infertility. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, make sure to go back once you've done yes, with this one. Definitely. Um, it's it's a very good um, poem to listen to and some really nice statistics that can help you maybe feel a little bit less um, earth shattered by infertility uh, to realize that it affects a lot more people than you probably think it does. Uh, but also some some good statistics like ninety um, percent uh, treatability rate. Um, that's a really heartening one. That ninety percent of cases of infertility have some way that they can treat it, even if they don't know exactly what's causing it. They often can find some way to treat it to bring you back to basically normal reproduction level which still is only 20 percent success but that's better than zero percent so um this time we're going to get back into our tale the road to treatment Mm, okay so when we last talked about our treatment uh we specifically said um how we finally got to a doctor who took it seriously enough to finally say i don't know what's causing your problems you need to go see a specialist. Yeah. This was after five years of talking to a doctor, six years almost. About around that, yeah. Uh, of talking to doctors about infertility here and there and, you know, going through all sorts of tests. We talked at one point about, uh, I think I ended up doing three different semen analyses in Kearney, um, and all of them came back according to their lab normal i'm using the air quotes they would say things like low normal but still normal so we don't know why you're not having a baby um i'd only got tested the three-day cycle mm -hmm. and then the one test with the doctor with Mm -hmm. i can't remember what the name of it is with the dye to make sure your tubes are open um yeah those are all the tests that they did specifically for you but they did put you through all sorts of stuff like the basal body temperature uh fertility logging ovulation logging uh, all of that stuff and and uh, frankly this is something that pretty much anyone who's struggling with infertility will talk about um or at least will understand maybe they won't talk about it right but Something that's supposed to be a pleasurable, fun experience between husband and wife can very quickly start to feel like a chore when yeah. it becomes so regimented. So, so uh, oh, we have to do it on this day, and then we can't do it for these two days, uh, but then we've got to do it on this day. Yeah. and Just kind of um, sucks the fun out of it. So Yeah, and... And, you know, that every person I've talked to who's dealt with fertility problems has has complained about basically the same thing. And, you know, I had 
a coworker at one point say something along the lines of, well, you know, it's the practice that's the most fun. And that's because they don't really understand that, I mean, it gets to a point, you can practice all you want for the Super Bowl, but if you never make it to the Super Bowl, eventually the practices stop becoming fun. So, but we finally, finally had a doctor who did their tests and said, I don't know what's causing this. I don't know. You're going to have to go see a a specialist. And she recommended us to uh, the Methodist Women's Hospital here in Omaha, Nebraska, where we now live. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Dr. Delaney, who was, um, she was, uh, the doctor in Kearney was the resident for Dr. Delaney when she was in med school. Uh, So she knew Dr. Delaney and knew Dr. Delaney knew all all the stuff and and recommended us to her. But here's the deal. Uh, Where we lived was, like we said before, Kearney, Nebraska. That's about a three-hour drive from Omaha. That's three hours one way and then three hours back. Um, On top of that, most fertility uh, treatment is all upfront cost. some states we mentioned before have fertility uh, coverage mandated in insurances. Some insurances will have fertility coverage in it, but the vast majority of them don't. And so suddenly you're left with this dilemma of you want to have a baby. How do you pay for this? Uh, our and it's daunting. F- it can be very daunting. Our because f- like we were saying earlier, you usually only think of the rich and famous like, oh, well, they can handle the cost of it. You don't think of two people that make barely over minimum wage mm-hmm. that, yeah. you know. And and in fairness, at the time I was working um, and I was getting paid a decent amount of money. I, we weren't rich by any means. Um, and Sarah had been at the same job for six years at that point, seven years something like that and um had had gotten their annual raises and and you know for her job was making okay money neither of us were rich we weren't we weren't raking in the dough but we also weren't minimum wage workers so um but but it was still daunting because like our first appointment with dr delaney was going to be like seven hundred dollars. Four hundred. Four hundred dollars. Four hundred dollars. I remember the call. Front. They said, "Yeah, you have to pay for that up front. Like, mm-hmm. there's no like we have the meeting and then you pay. It's yep. every time you meet, it is up mm-hmm. front. You pay before you can go see the doctor. So four hundred dollars before we even talked to a doctor about it, and that didn't cover anything. Like, of course the drive to Omaha and back if we had to stay at a hotel, which fortunately we didn't. Uh, well, blood work. That. It didn't cover, didn't cover any lab that. work, blood work, any of that stuff. That was all going to be extra. They do a lot of blood work. Yeah. So so we first knew that we were going to have to do $500 out of pocket or $400 out of pocket there. Plus, like I said, travel expenses. It's basically a tank of gas. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, um, and, you know, food, because well, we're not yeah. at homes, so we can't eat that. And, you know, we had to arrange to make sure we were both off from work on on the day to do it. Yeah. Uh, be- and that was one area we were both lucky in is because we'd been at our jobs for at least a decent amount of time. They both were both jobs were very understanding of because mm-hmm. sometimes it would be short notice. I mm-hmm. mean, we'd 
because yeah, we were going there quite often. But mm-hmm. you know, I'd call and they'd say, "Okay, your appointment's on Tuesday at seven in the morning." So, okay, I mean, mm-hmm. that was the appointment. There was no really negotiating. But so, so we had to figure out how to co- how to pay for this, how to cover all these costs, and we knew, well, we knew that even where we were in our jobs we weren't going to be able to cover it all just based on our income uh we knew that we were going to need some help we were fortunate enough to own a house at the time and at the time had had owned the house for like 10 years or so um nine yeah about nine years 10 years almost probably anyways doesn't matter the exact time because it would have been it would have been around 10 years um so we knew we had some equity in the house so we go and uh we approach uh, a lender at our bank and say hey we're we're looking to uh refinance or or get a home equity loan whatever we need to do to to cover this cost um and we start that process and anyone who's ever refinanced or taken out a second loan on their house knows it's not a quick process no and we had an appointment vast approaching vastly um and so we knew there was going to be something else we would need to do and we we made the decision we'd made this before we actually set up the appointment with the the um lender because we knew that that wasn't going to be fast enough that we put up a GoFundMe. Yeah. Um, I remember and- making either I emailed you from work because I know I got the mm-hmm. call because at my job, you, you couldn't actually have your phone with you. But since I knew that this boss or this call was coming in, I told my boss well, I had my phone. And I remember her telling me that IUI was not going to be a suitable thing for us. So we'd have to do IVF, and I remember. I think well, I emailed you, and I said, "Go uh-huh. set up a GoFundMe." Yep. Because, and, so you know. So we 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 had to set up this GoFundMe. Well, the the IVF call would have been a little bit later, but we still had to set up this GoFundMe to to uh, to do this, and that was the moment. And I've mentioned this before. That was the moment the weight came off our shoulders, because it was no longer something that we were fighting on our own. It was now out there in the public eye. And the moment you press publish on something like a GoFundMe for infertility treatment, you feel like everyone you know is looking at you. But at the same point, we'd been fighting this for six years, five years at this time. And so suddenly having this hiding weight off of our shoulder... It was out there in the public. People knew about it. It wasn't something we were hiding anymore. Was was a really big deal. And it was this, like, really lightning load for us. The GoFundMe, we mentioned before, we didn't make a ton of money off of it. Uh, under $1,000. Um, around 900 You know, and, and so it definitely helped. Oh, yeah. We're not even going to uh, try to lie and say it didn't help. Um, but two appointments. Yeah, but it wasn't paying for it. We still needed that home equity loan. We still needed the extra help. But it was more valuable than the money because it got it out there in the open. And that's why we have this podcast is because I truly feel that getting it out in the open is the best thing for anyone struggling with infertility. 
it's such a personal thing that you feel like you've got to fight this on your own and you don't get out there, get it so other people know about it. Um, it instantly stops all of the, so when are you going to have a baby talk or, you know, I mean, all that weird pressure. I, I'd had pressure on me to have a baby from, from family members since not long after Sarah and I got married, my mom, bless her soul, wanted another grandchild. By the time Sarah and I got married, um, my niece and my nephew were all like five and eight, something oh like that. Uh, seven, four and seven. Because uh, we started dating, she was two. My niece was born in 2001. So, yeah, so like four and seven. Um, so my mom was ready to be a grandma again. Uh, and, but, you know, we weren't ready when we first got married, or so we thought at least. And we put time off. And, but so we had all this pressure and had all this, you know, even just random strangers, you know, asking, so you got kids yet? What are you waiting for? The GoFundMe was when that weight got off our shoulders. But I knew the GoFundMe wasn't going to make enough money. Um, I've got some kind of statistics here right now. The base cost, the national average for base clinic costs of IVF is $12,000. But that doesn't include drugs. Okay, I was going to say that I'm doesn't like, include what? lab work. That doesn't include any of that stuff. That's just the base clinic costs, right? That's the and that's the national average. So some places it's less, some places it's more. Um, one cycle average is about twenty thousand. Okay. Again, still not counting the drugs, still because the drugs on ours ended up being about nine grand. I was going to say seven something, but yeah, I mean, eight. seven or eight. Yep. Um, and so we knew that as much as as family and friends loved us, as much as they were going to try to support us, we knew we weren't going to get twenty nine thousand dollars <laughs> uh, through a GoFundMe. We knew we had to find some other way to do it. And that's where the home equity loan I think technically it was a second mortgage. Um, I'm no yeah, financial I guy. I don't know the the. We just kind of had to trust our mortgage specialist, our our lender, to lead us to the right way to get the money. Um, and, and she was very, very helpful, and mm -hmm. you know. But again, that was another stress going on at the same time as all of this, because while doing all of the testing and all of that we were still filling out paperwork and it literally came down to like the week before yeah. we were supposed to start treatment we still hadn't heard an official approval from the bank um and yeah. then we, we heard an approval but it was gonna be like two weeks before we got our money or something like that so then she arranged for a, a small loan to cover the start of our treatments so that we could could do that and then pay it back as soon as our full loan came in. It was weird. Well, but. yeah, I, I don't think people knew how stressed we were 
I mean, they knew about mm-hmm. the IVF, but they didn't realize how close to the deadline we were. Mm-hmm. Because well, literally, if we wouldn't have got the loan, we didn't have the money. We, yeah. we don't have family that was like saying, oh, here, we'll get it. I mean, none of mm-hmm. our, you know. So, so here we were. And, and I think that's one of the things that I take from this whole experience is that after years of everything moving slowly, very suddenly things moved very fast. Um, because we went from doctors not knowing what to do to an appointment uh, where we walked in and Dr. Delaney looked over Sarah's chart, probably like we said, had looked over it before talked to Sarah a bit and within five minutes said, I'm pretty sure I know what's wrong. Um, Let's go into another room. We'll do a test and find out. And it was effectively a version of the same test that she had done previously, but uh, instead of done with dye and all of that stuff, it was done with water. And instead of done being done with a, with a, um, uh, CT or or X-ray. It was being done with an ultrasound, but it was effectively the same test, except it was way easier for Sarah I, to do. I literally think I had a panic attack because in the office she said it, and I was like, "You mean the same thing that I just went through where I was mm. crying and it took like forty-five minutes?" And I, I was, I mean, I almost started crying then just because I was like, "I don't know if I can go through that," but. Yeah, it was, I don't know if it was mm-hmm. just experience or the, the water. I know some people said that makes a difference, mm-hmm. but just the whole thing. I mean, I was like, oh, that's it? Like, yeah. oh, okay. Well, it was a way more pleasant experience just from the standpoint. We weren't in a room with random x-ray techs come walking in and out of a door and well, no giant and, machinery. It was just kind of a basic And let's room. be honest, it's still uncomfortable to mm-hmm. some degree. I'm not trying to like sugarcoat. I just meant compared to the other one i mean i literally was physically crying because i i feel like i have a high tolerance of pain so it's like i mean it takes a lot for me to be like oh okay you know casey's hand probably you know knew the amount of pain i was in during that procedure and this one it was like Mm -hmm. it just comparatively it was much more smooth sailing well i think a lot of things play into it we mentioned before that the doctor and carney Hadn't done it before. Uh Um, Again, it was being done with an x-ray or CT. I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was an x-ray machine. X-ray machine, um, which then required a bunch of lab technicians. This one was being done with an ultrasound, uh, which that meant it was just the doctor and I think one nurse nurse in the room. That was usually the extent of it. And that was it. Um, and, And the test very quickly confirmed to the doctor uh, the diagnosis of PCOS. So we've mentioned PCOS before, uh, but in case we didn't go into it deep enough, I can't remember. PCOS stands for polycystic ovary syndrome. And effectively it's, um, her Sarah's ovaries. Um, a lot of people have PCOS. So the ovaries have these small cysts usually caused by a hormone imbalance that grow on them that can, uh, prevent or at least, modify ovulation uh and in sarah's case that it had been untreated for so long that the doctor was pretty sure that sarah was never actually releasing any eggs that um would explain why her her sister her 
her cycle was so erratic. Like, it could be regular for four months and then suddenly be way off, and then suddenly be regular again, and then suddenly be way off. Um, it's because she was probably never dropping an egg. And uh, at that point, then they decided to test me. Um, and I mentioned before the uncomfort and how awkward the tests were for me in Kearney dealing with a Catholic health hospital uh, that had a, the only lab in town. Uh, testing for the man at a fertility clinic like Methodist is a different ballpark altogether. It's it's they have rooms set up that you get walked into and and they've got magazines and and DVDs and they collect the sample all there and they process it all there and we can talk more about that. I've got a whole comedy routine based off of it, but uh, now's not the time. <laughs> but I just wonder this kind of going back, you know. I don't wonder why they don't do ultrasounds during just your normal gynecological visit because that's one thing i mean that's what i mean besides the symptoms that i've been telling my doctor for years uh just one quick look of the ultrasound basically showed all the cysts and so my brain is just like i wonder why they don't i, I mean think... cost i mean well, the thing is cost i mean it would have been so much helpful I it mean, that's been, another whole scenario. We have I'm, lots I, of... I have very massive anger for the years we spent and just knowing that that's one step. If there's like 12 steps. One of them was anger because, you know, this could have been dealt with a long time ago. No, I mean... But I just wonder why they don't. Because this does seem to be affecting more and more women than... I mean, maybe just we just didn't know about it, but... I, I think we got caught in a perfect storm of uh, small town Nebraska and uh, insurance shenanigans. Ultrasounds cost money. Insurance doesn't want to pay for them if they don't deem them medically necessary. So unless the doctor sees a reason to suspect something like PCOS, they're not going to approve an ultrasound. So doctors aren't going to request them unless they have a, a big reason to think it. So I think that's the, the insurance side of it. I think the other side of it is small town Nebraska. I don't think the doctors in Nebraska would know PCOS from a hole in their head. Uh, because you, you clearly exhibited basically well, yeah. every symptom of it and talked to them about it multiple times. And they never even brought it up. They never no, even I actually, said No, I actually, I remember looking it up, looking up just my symptoms, because some of the symptoms, you know, irregular cycle, uh, weight gain, and facial hair. I remember I just typing in all those things and it came up and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that, that sounds about right. And it's just, I don't know. I just, all I got to say is if you're out there and you've been trying and you were from a small town, I hate to say it, try to make a plan to go to a bigger city. Research, do research, try to find out where in your state and your, unfortunately, you still have to look for your insurance provider, but, and see if you need to be recommended. But mm -hmm. I mean, unfortunately that that's our experience in Kearney yes. was that they didn't, except for that last lady that was like, I can't help you. I'm sending you to a, you know, 
no offense, professional type person, but I I thank her all the time because if she would never had enough guts to say, gosh, I don't want to, I don't want to waste your money and your time, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. So, so that's the, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've had the same anger at the carny doctors as you do. Um, and there's, there's a lot of reasons to be angry at them. We had six years or five years of testing there, uh, that they could have figured something out and could have come up with PCOS. And that would have at least put us on a path because if Sarah would have started, uh, the medicine, even just the medicine to treat PCOS, yeah. Five years earlier, you know, we might not have found ourselves in the same situations and, that we did. Technically, I some of the research has been said that actually being on birth control actually helps people with PCOS get pregnant. And so it's like, that would have been nice to have known because it keeps your cycle. It actually keeps your cycle uh, consistent. Mm-hmm. Just a little tidbit I actually learned afterwards was that that actually because... And that's half the battle is your cycles all over the place. So you can't mm-hmm. plan anything. But then there's also medicine that helps, uh, helps with the PCOS itself. Well, if we would have been, been on, on that five years earlier, well, five years, you've been five years younger, your been sperm five years would have been younger. five years younger. Mm-hmm. They might've been able to do IUI. Yeah. So, so we go getting back, getting back the cost, you know, we're wasting through what savings we had um, while trying to get the approvals for the loans. We had the GoFundMe, which we were fortunate enough to get some out of that we could use. But it was literally one of those. We got the call from the doctors. They did my tests. They determined that my count was low, which surprised me because uh, every time the tests were done in Kearney. They said they were still within normal ranges and uh, we do the test at Methodist and they're like, no, they're low. They're, they're low. And more specifically, and apparently the Kearney lab doesn't even really look at it. My motility was low, which means not only did I have less swimmers, but they were moving less. They were distracted. Like Um, squirrel. They were little ADD swimmers, I guess. Uh, Who knows? Um, but you have to make jokes at some point of some yeah. things. But so I guess the, the, in the end, what we're trying to say with a lot of the talk about PCOS is it's important to be your own advocate. Yes. If you don't feel like your doctors are making progress on you, ask to talk to different doctors. If you are currently seeing just an OBGYN about it. Even if they're the quote unquote fertility person in your town, if they're not a uh, radiological endocrinologist, maybe, maybe ask to see an RE or a and specialist. Especially if you've been trying for over a year. Because I, I will say they, they might be somewhat defiant mm-hmm. of referring you if you maybe have only been doing this for three months. So I probably would still, I mean, I mm-hmm. hate to say wait at least a year, but that's... I. I would venture to say uh, people aren't well, listening to this podcast if they haven't been no, trying I, for a while. I, so I'm just saying, you know. But it's important to be your someone. own be your own advocate and say, hey, listen, you know, we've been trying a lot of this stuff and it doesn't seem to be working. I think it's time to see a specialist. But so here we were. We finally had uh, the call that said, you know, hey, uh, 
Casey's semen analysis shows uh, low motility and low count and partnered with the PCOS. Uh, I don't think IUI is going to be a, a viable option. IUI depends on a, a few things. If it had just been the PCOS, but my sperm count had been fine, then uh, they might have done IUI. IUI, of course, is jokingly sometimes referred to as the turkey baster method. It's the woman takes uh, medicine, uh, takes drugs to increase their ovulation and uh, trigger them to to drop eggs, often drop multiples. And then uh, the man's sample is manually injected high up in there so that it has to travel less distance and has a greater chance of ovulating or of impregnating. However, when your sperm count is uh, of a certain level or below, that becomes really, really hard to get enough sperm in there to make the chances good. And that's when, when our doctor, Dr. Delaney said, for you guys, it would probably just be wasting your money to do IUI. We, you could do three or four rounds of it and not see any success. So let's just hotshot you straight to IVF. But then we get given this thing that shows the cost of IVF and estimated cost of medicines. Yeah. And we really should look to see. I'm sure we still have that paper somewhere. We've moved twice since then. So things are in boxes still somewhere. Um, but, but seeing that sticker shock of 25 or $27,000, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, it, it was very detailed. I mean, like one procedure was this and then another mm -hmm. and then this and yep. all the appointments and yeah, it was very detailed. It was even split up amongst, you know, appointments. This appointment would do this, this, and this is how much Which... it would be. This appointment would do this, and this is how much it would be. This appointment would be, you know, and so on and so forth. But then at the end, it had the total. And so at that point, we knew how much we were going to need. And at that point, we had to start putting some extra pressure on the loan officer to get us approved and paid out on it. So I just, just with this all being said, if you're even thinking about it, I would go in. If this is what way you're thinking financially, because, I mean, we probably aged a good... Mm -hmm. year in that last week of trying to figure out because I was about ready to start medicine and all of this and the procedure would be set up and so I'm just saying now that if you're thinking this that's your only way financially go talk to someone now about it mm -hmm. go to your bank that you like that you trust uh you know I'm that's all I just want to yes. say because this is kind of about the funny the, the money part the financial area and you know, I actually was just talking to Casey before this. I'm like, man, we should have tried a fundraiser or something. And so, or if there's something like that, but I just mean mm -hmm. for us, the bank, it's, you know, it just, it takes a while. So if you're thinking, I would start now. Yes, definitely. You start Sorry. working, we'll start figuring out the finances. Um, if it's taking out a loan against a house like we did, Start working on getting all the stuff ready for that and, and talking to a, a banker about that. If it's um, through some other means, if it's through an insurance, uh, like if you happen to have insurance that's going to cover it, start figuring out that. Do some research uh, 
We talked a little bit on one of the shows about how even when insurance does cover it, it often has a lifetime yeah. maximum or cap. And you, and you have to make sure that you're using it effectively. I've been reading a bit since we didn't have to go through insurance. We didn't have to deal this, but I've been reading a bit about it. And um, some people are saying that using the insurance for the procedures, but using personal funds for the drugs can be the better use of it because sometimes you can get discounts on the drugs if you're paying in cash versus if you're if you're sending it through insurance and uh the drugs can really quickly eat into mm. this lifetime maximum uh that you want to cover as much as you can of the of the procedures so like i say i haven't been through that myself that's just something that i've been reading and so to our listeners out there uh, feel free to email us infertilitybitespodcast at gmail.com give us your advice on how you went about uh, financing it or paying for it in what ways what tricks and tips that you have for making the most out of insurance or saving the most money you know if there's um like I said we're not experts or anything but if there's a pharmacy that you found works with you better for cost of, of medicine. Um, I know there are some internet pharmacies that some doctors don't like you to use because they're importing the drugs from from Canada or someplace like that, and it's sketchy in their mind. Um, Canada has universal health care, so, you know. Um, so, but it's, hit us up on, on infertilitybitespodcast at gmail.com with your hints on that. We'll talk about it a little bit more on the next show, I bet. But, um, I think that'll take us to the end of our tale for this week on us. Our advice again, make sure to start thinking about the financing now. If you haven't figured out how you're going to pay for it, start figuring that out because, once they start coming up with a plan, things can progress fairly fast. Um, Especially because they are assuming you've been trying for years. And mm-hmm. as evident, we're not getting any younger. So they're like, yeah, you're here this, for a reason. So, you know, the, they'll start doing the the pills. And, you know, some people, because they'll usually put you on birth control for a month and then do some testing to see how your follicles are developing and then they'll and, have the meeting about all the shots yes and we'll get into that but once once they decide that your follicles have developed or that you're on track they can say let's pull the trigger and let's do this now and boom you're rolling down the hill so get your your stuff figured out as much in advance um but now we're going to move on to story time. This is my favorite part of these because yeah. uh, we get to talk a little bit about um, other people. Other people that have been going through these same sorts of battles um, and tell their stories. And, and the show really doesn't exist without other people's stories as well. I mean, it's just us telling our story, but we want to tell other stories. So... Uh, the story this week comes from Lucy Lee in North Carolina. Right. Hi, Lucy. Yes. Uh, she, um, as from trying from their first miscarriage, they were trying eight years before they finally got their first rainbow baby in 2018. 
Uh, they suffered another miscarriage in 2019 and have been trying for over a year since then to get another baby. So, um, they've done four different IUIs, uh, one HSG, they were diagnosed with endometriosis, had to have surgery to remove it, went to an RE for IVF, diagnosed with low ovarian reserve, and also told that they wouldn't be able to conceive naturally without the help of IVF. Oh. Tried every Western to Eastern remedy that they could to help conceive. They say infertility makes you feel so alone and, and overwhelmed no matter what, and to make it worse when you experience a miscarriage. Her mother has been the most supportive of her during this. So they're trying again for baby number three total after their second miscarriage in last July. And their advice for everyone is to ask all the questions that are in your head, no matter how big or small. Seek help from people who understand your situation. Uh, so definitely uh, sending, sending good baby thoughts, good baby juju to Lucy Lee out yeah. there in North Carolina. Um, hoping this, this was submitted a couple weeks ago, so here's hoping that she's had some progress. And uh, that there's some good good yeah. news coming to her in the future. Send in prayers, because yeah, I mean, yes. it's. I mean, it's a lot, and I mean, a lot of times people think, yeah, you have one kid, that's it. Well, usually people that want kids, most of the time, wanted more than one. Yeah. So, so I, I know very few people who who were like, yeah, I dreamed so long of having one kid and then stopping. Most of them say, like we did, we were both the youngest of three. We thought three kids would be pretty much perfect. Um, there are a lot of people who say, I dream of having a big family, like eight or nine kids. That's eh, a little much for me, but uh, <laughs> yeah, to, I don't know about to that. each their own, right? <laughs> but not too many people say, I just want to have one and then I'm done. So just and, it's just for people to be understanding that just because you have one doesn't mean you, you can't fight. Uh, infertility for a second one you know i'm just yeah and people, that's the deal you know i mean the simple fact is people are like oh you're greedy and i'm like well, well no i mean i just mean i just i always feel like i gotta defend people because some people will be like no that's wrong you already have one i'm like yeah but just like with anything you were wanting more and so well sorry i'm and, rambling and ultimately that's what it comes down to sarah and i we've got our beautiful two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Stella Faye. She is wonderful, and if she is Honoring. destined to be our only baby, so be it. Wonderful. Wonderful, but we definitely want more. We have had some financial setbacks in the last couple years that have made it so um, we no longer have some of the advantages that we had uh, going through the first round of IVF. We, of course, do have, I think we've got six frozen eggs right now i think it's six five or six um and and so we have six because i think two of them are great and then forward is good mm -hmm. but (laughs) but so we'd love to to do that so i mean somewhere down the road we'd love to start start getting something put together for having a second baby (laughs) it's always uh, a slight joke in our house because every time i'm like oh i want another baby i'm like when are you going to go rob a bank? <laughs> because, you know, because it's like you, you, you can see them. They're your eggs and 
you're paying. I mean, technically, you, we pay for them every year. At some point, we get a bill. But I just mean, it's like you're so close, but you're so far away. So if you hear about a bank being robbed in Omaha, <laughs> Nebraska, it wasn't me. I was nowhere near it. I'll, I'll verify it. So, But we'd love to have a second baby. So all, all hopes for Lucy Lee. Yes. Uh, here's hoping that uh, good news comes to them in the near future. Send love. Um, but I think we'll start to wrap it up for this. Uh, I mentioned last time we have a Facebook page. You can go to facebook.com slash infertilitybites. For that, we do have a Twitter at infertilitypod. Uh, so you can tweet us there. We mentioned the Gmail before, infertilitybitespodcast at gmail.com. Those are all great ways you can get in touch with us there. This show only really works when listeners like you submit their stories. Yes. Uh, I said this before. I've said it online quite a few times. Every journey is a fingerprint, and we're here to celebrate all of them. The uh, successes and the setbacks... Um, we don't just want to tell stories of people who've, who've had their miracle baby. We also want to tell the stories of people who are still trying, people who are relatively early. Everyone's story probably started years before where they are now. If you're to the point now that you're listening to an infertility podcast, you probably have been battling it for years. And th those are the stories that we want to tell because... Those are the times that you feel the most alone. And you need to understand that you're not alone. That a lot of people deal with this. And they deal with it silently. Just I, when, you're, when you're talking about that, I was thinking of when we were in the office at Dr. Delaney's. And I would look over and this huge wall would be mm. just filled with file folders. And granted, maybe not all of those are for people wanting babies. But there was just so many. I mean, it was just like, oh, my gosh, you're not mm -hmm. alone. No, you are definitely not alone. So um, so you can submit your story. We've got a, a flow page, flow.page slash infertility bites. You can go there. You can see all of our links for where to listen to this podcast, our Facebook, our Twitter, um, as well as a link for the form to submit your story. Um We've got a few more stories that we can cover, but we always want more. And yes, I, ideally, uh, we'll get to the end of our story and we'd be able to fill this podcast every week with other people's stories. Down the road, I'd love to start interviewing some people. But that only works if people continue to send in their stories. So hit us up, Facebook, Twitter, go to that form and fill it out. Uh, we want to tell your story and we would very much appreciate it. If you want to be anonymous in it, just let us know. We won't say your name. We won't say any information like that. But if you want to get it out there, I highly recommend you do because it'll help you feel less alone. Um, we also, I know some Facebook pages frown on this, but I have no problem on this show sending out a plug for uh, a fundraising or an Etsy store some some way that you're trying to go fund me because that's what we went through anything we can do to help you guys that's what we're here to do um if you are enjoying our show and don't feel ready to submit a story or even if you do 
a review for our show on whatever platform you listen to it would be great. It really helps other people find our show if they can see some reviews. So um, if you're comfortable doing that, put a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever saying how much you enjoy the show. If you're even comfortable with sharing this on your social media, send out a, a tweet or a Facebook post saying I'm really enjoying Infertility Bites with a link to our show on whatever platform you want to use. Um, those are the great ways to get more people to listen to this and get it out there because the more people who listen, the less alone you're going to feel. So, But for now, we're going to wrap things up for this week. May your dreams of tiny feet be answered soon. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, we're going to let our little scientific miracle send us off with love and kisses. Talk to you later. Bye. I love you. Hello. Hello. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.